This week, Talking TV is brought to you by pop-up post-production firm The Finish Line. Dealing with everything from consulting to full post and delivery, they've worked on Mutiny, GPs Behind Closed Doors, and Lawless Oceans, to name a few. Hello and welcome, I'm Peter White. In this week's show, we shine a spotlight on reality television and take a close look at Franco-British relations. We speak to Ross McCarthy, founder of Gobstopper Television and creator of MTV's forthcoming Charlotte Crosby series, Just the Tattoo of Us. Also, Samuel Cassus, founder of French production company Pernell Media, joins us to explain why he's launched a British operation. And in the news this week, we head to Jerusalem for Cachette's InTV conference, where a number of major US companies, including Fox and HBO, talked about working closer with UK producers. Plus, tasty new details of a second series of The Night Manager and Fox's abandoned plans to remake Luther. Remember, you can find out more about all of these stories by subscribing to the magazine or online at broadcastnow.co.uk. Joining me at Maple Street Studios is Broadcast's international editor, Minori Ravindran, uh, fresh off the plane from Jerusalem. How are you, Minori? Doing well, Pete. Thanks. Got back yesterday afternoon. Four days in Israel? Just about. About half of that with my luggage, but, um, <laughs> but made it in the end. <laughs> you, you were a bag light on the first few days, were you? I was very light. I think I, this is the first conference in which I've attended wearing uh, scruffy vans and a t-shirt, Laura Saunders' t-shirt and Danny Fenton's blazer. So. Uh, the, the indie community rallied round for warmth, I, I hear. I was very well taken care of, so thank you, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, first up, going straight to that, the news. US networks Fox and HBO have revealed that they are looking to develop stronger ties with British producers, building on partnerships with broadcasters such as the BBC and Sky. Speaking at Cachette's InTV conference in Jerusalem, Kerry Antholis, president of miniseries at HBO, told broadcasters that it wanted to build on its broadcaster relationships and work directly with UK indies. And Fox also said it wanted to target closer relationships. This is interesting, uh, Manoy. They were basically saying to you that they would uh, would like to work a little bit closer with British Indies. Is that right? That's exactly right. Uh, so me and Kerry had a great conversation in which uh, he was talking a lot about his BBC co-productions that they've got going on, Cormoran Strike and uh, this new one as well with Sally Wainwright that's coming up. And, you know, kind of just asking about what the relationship is like really with Sky and the BBC and interestingly he said that he's looking for the producer's voice so he wants to hear from the creative community and he was quite specific about that it's very much about very specific auteur-led vision uh, which HBO is interested in. That's got to be good news for for Brits who've never really had an open door straight to HBO as you say they've sort of worked via the BBC or Sky in the Mm -hmm. past and Fox was similarly saying this I think you had a conversation with the president of Fox 21 is that right? Yeah Bert Selke uh, great conversation. He was very, I mean, he listed The Fall and Peaky Blinders as some of his favorite shows, said that UK shows are basically a surpassing US shows in terms of quality. He was a huge fan and this deal is happening in the next month. It's with an indie. I said it's a pretty big producer. They're trying to get British writers and British talent to, to come over and work for them, are they? Exactly. They're going to mine creative talent to work with the writers that they have, to work with, to forge new relationships. Yeah, he says that there's going to be a lot of business with the UK this coming year, which is very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about the conference. It's in Jerusalem itself, right? That's right. Yeah. So it's basically, I mean, it's incredible. It's at the YMCA in Jerusalem. It's about a 10 minute, 15 minute walk away from the old city. So very central. I mean, I was struck because it was my first time in Israel. So I was sort of a bit doe-eyed and just getting my bearings, really. But I thought it was a really amazing setting. But 
interestingly, I was kind of waiting for that panel on the, you know, that to hear some good sessions about the Israeli TV industry. And interestingly, it was just it was completely awash with U.S. execs, you know, I mean, Fox and NBC. And it was uh, so they got a lot of the big U.S. names more than necessarily just local. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the focus was certainly very much on the on the U.S. and U.S. business and what they're looking to do. And and actually, China was there as well for the first time. I heard that some people from CMC Holdings were um, kind of holding court, really, and people were just having meetings throughout the day. And that was very exciting. And lots of news to come out of it. We gather you uh, you broke a story about the night managers, too. Yeah, that's right. I had a chat with Suzanne Beer, who um, I'm a big fan of. I mean, I've seen a lot of her films before. Uh, she's part of Dogma 95. So I kind of like just consumed those for, for a number of years. And so I was very excited when she went into TV. So we sat down to talk about really, you know, film and her her kind of move into, into television. And uh, of course, I had to sort of ask about the show. And sure enough, she said scripts are being developed slowly. Yeah, I think they're just waiting. It, it really got that sense that they're just waiting for to, to make sure that it's the right story because, you know, she seemed very sensitive about the fact that there's no novel attached, you know. So any kind of story that they do is going to have to be really bloody good. So we'll see. We'll see what they do. But it is happening. And yeah. And to come on the back of that, after that story was picked up, the BBC and AMC uh, said that they were. They sort of confirmed your story. That's right. Yeah, I believe they've confirmed it today. So, um yeah, very exciting news for Night Manager fans. Absolutely. We'll wait to see uh, a little bit of more Tom Hiddleston on uh, on our screens. And similarly, with uh, you had a Luther scoop. Yeah, that's right. Big fan of Luther. And it was, I think Fox had been planning to do this remake for a few years now. So I you know, just asked, uh, asked Dana what was happening with it. And sadly, they're not going ahead with it. But for very, very interesting reasons, I thought. I mean, they were talking with Mahershala Ali now on the back of his Oscar. Imagine if if he was the next Luther, but what Dana was saying was pre-Moonlight, it was just a little bit too similar to the UK version. You know, it's a, it's a blackmail lead, and, and I think that there were a few too many parallels there for them. So They must be kicking themselves. They could have had an Oscar winner on their hands. You know, yeah, I mean, we did kind of talk about that, but I, I don't know. I I think for her, it's a little bit too too close to the youth. What she was saying is that people could basically just go on Netflix and, and watch Luther. Why do they need to see it on Fox? So, yeah. Uh, but there was a, a female idea in, at one stage, is that right? Exactly. So she mentioned they were in talks, pretty lengthy talks, with uh, Rosario Dawson, a wonderful actor, and sadly didn't go ahead because of her time commitments. Rosario had a lot going on, and I think it would have been... This is the Sin City star. Yes, that's right. So Rosario Dawson, Sin City, also Rent, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> Personal fan. But because of time commitments, it wasn't the right time for Rosario. And I think Dana really had her eye on that particular actor. I don't think she really wanted anyone else. So because of those reasons, they, they didn't go. They're not going forward with it. It sounds like uh, Rosario Dawson wanted a, a smaller commitment, a sort of 10 episode, almost more like a cable uh, run rather than network, which you really do need 20 plus episodes. of. That's a... exactly what Dana said. It, was, it would be like, you know, 25, 26 episodes. And she said Rosario was a new mom and like had you know, just other things that she was, that were going on for her. So it wasn't the right time. So they'll have to uh, have to dig out Idris's version on Netflix. Yep, afraid so. No bad thing. Interview time now. Geordie Shaw star Charlotte Crosby is heading back to MTV with her latest show, Just to Two of Us. Our tattoo studio isn't like any other. I want that bit to be more gross. Not only does someone else pick your tattoo for you. What's the worst that could happen? It's a bad one. You're horrible. 
it deserves this. But you don't get to see it until it's completely finished and on your body for life. It's gonna hurt so bad. This is gonna be sick. You will lose a family member. Uh, is that some dark joke? Ross McCarthy, founder of Gobstopper Television, the Greenbird-backed indie responsible for the eight-part show, joins us now to talk about the inky format and the current state of reality television. Hello, Ross. Hi, how you doing? Yeah, very well. And yourself? Yeah, very good, thank you. Everything nice and busy over there at Gobstopper? Yeah, we're uh, in the middle of the edits at the moment, and they are some pretty heavy-duty edits. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think reality edits are a unique thing to the genre. Lovely. So let's go back to the start. Uh, yeah. Did the title come first, and then you worked out uh, no. a, a tattoo show? No. The um, the idea's been around for a little while. We, a guy in my development team called Yestin Barker, who's um, subsequently been poached to go to MTV, had the idea sort of back in like December 2015. So we'd only been up and running for a few months as a company and it, we sort of pitched it in, didn't really, didn't hear back, you know, the usual stuff. And then it sort of came up in a meeting a few months later and um, on the way to the, I think we went to a coffee shop on the way and came up with the title in the It's in impossible the to say the name of the yeah. show without the tune in your head, Yeah, try saying just, yeah, we're started casting for series two at the moment and try saying series just a two, series two. Uh, we're <laughs> not greenlit yet but we're so, underway casting so tell us about it how easy or difficult is it to encourage people to get tattooed without knowing what they're going to be how difficult would you imagine it is uh, pretty damn hard yeah we were all aware it was gonna be hard so baked into the budget we had a enormous dropout rate for contributors and had all of the things you need accordingly so i think we worked out we had about 400 percent dropout rate 400%. and that meant not just in terms of who we'd spoken to but people that we'd flagged we were interested in and we'd met them i think we probably had because we have 42 tattoos in the series and we let we lost well over i don't know maybe 70 couples maybe something like that just scared um, that they got scared. Yeah, well, but part of the protocol, we just ha you have to give people time to kind of cool off, and some people cooled off because what they were about to do was pretty full on. So, so we're not going to spoil the tattoos. No, no. But, but how bad are some of them? A, a lot worse than in the trailer, <laughs> like significantly. Like Prime Minister questions the next day worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so it shows that people are pre prepared to go very yeah, far I mean, we, to be on TV. So, so we, well, do you know what? I, th I think more than anything, I think. We cast at the sort of younger end of country, so early 20s. I just think there's a bit of a misunderstanding about the kind of totally a lot of millennial viewers watch stuff online that is a lot edgier than terrestrial television or even digital tele television offers. And I think because of that, I mean, they were strangely receptive to it. I mean, we, we've, we had a lot, of in, lot of applicants, actually a lot of people we dismissed because we didn't think the ideas were interesting enough or we really had the ideas. Because what we had to do as part of the process was to make sure we weren't feeding them the ideas. The, we had a, a protocol that was sort of killed a series of small trees to make sure that we weren't getting sued early April, which who knows, that may yet happen, but we'll wait and see. No, we really, really went to great lengths to make sure that the people who wanted to do it really wanted to do it. And that those people had time to decide they didn't want to do it. We were really rigorous with it. They were psych tested within each of their life. They've signed more paperwork than you can possibly imagine. You've done your health and safety I mean, on this, haven't the, you? The pro yeah, so I'm interested in really difficult shows. Is what I like. It's part of the reason I set up. I wanted to sort of pitch stuff that was kind of a bit out there but with that you have to love an excel spreadsheet and you have to love a protocol and you know we, we put a really good team together we have a series producer called chloe seddon who was also my head of development who um developed it with me her background long ago was bbc science and i polluted her into reality because she is the most she's so rigorous with it, how she every single thing she does is meticulous and 
the truth is you can't push the boundaries in reality TV without being really Ron Seal behind the scenes. I think that's that's one something that's quite, quite misunderstood about reality isn't slapdash people with fake tan running around. There's usually about 100 people behind making sure that we're not getting sued. Yeah. We were really careful with it. Has anything changed since the uh, the hopefuls was on the word back uh, 25 years ago? Uh, I'm too young to remember the word 25 years ago. I might have seen it at a list show. <laughs> I if you haven't I, seen the hopefuls you need to watch do you the know hopefuls. what I'm, I'm aware of it as a strand in it but I've not I wouldn't say I'm a, okay. a big viewer of it I know what you're getting at is will people do anything to get on telly and yeah. I just don't think that's really what this show's about what I found really interesting that because even my own team there were moral wobbles in the team you know is this pushing it too far I mean there's a line somewhere we've, we're definitely on it <laughs> where whether we're either side of it is sort of for people you know to decide otherwise but People think millennials are this sort of really nice green juice drinking brigade of, re- of Blue Peter viewers, and they're just not. They watch stuff that's far more extreme on the internet. And I think actually one of the challenges telly has is to kind of catch up a little bit. I think a lot of stuff is really, really very grey. You've got the likes of Charlotte and Stephen. They yeah. sort of come out of this MTV world of, yeah. of celebrities, yeah. the, the sort of Geordie Shores and yeah. on the beaches. And, and it does seem that other broadcasters are starting to cotton on that, that people around the rest of the country are like this and you yeah. know, whether that's Channel 4 jazzing up Coach Trip or, yeah. or Love Island there does seem to be a little bit of a move that we're, they're not yeah. all juice drinking uh, yeah. yogurt eaters no they're not all Remainers either do you know what I mean I, th- I think the, I think there's a huge gap between a very middle class TV community and the rest of the country the question about whether people will do anything to get on telly the people that take part are just up for a laugh like they're not they you know we're overthinking it we're, yeah hugely overthinking it and I understand why because obviously we as program makers need to be responsible and need to make sure that we kind of you know adhere to some rules and obviously you know we've we've been very careful to make sure we're Ofcom compliant and all the rest of it but the the worst tattoo in the show which obviously I can't disclose most people who've worked in the series feel there's a particular tattoo that's worse they want to come on series two so yeah define worst something that the sentiment of which is controversial and distasteful but you know we that was their idea they wanted to do this for their friend we went to great lengths to make sure that we hadn't fed them those ideas and actually you're wrong to assume I think that everyone that gets a tattoo will hate it even though we might look at it and go oh my goodness what the hell is that and what about Charlotte and Stephen? They uh, they seem pretty batshit crazy. Uh, how are, yeah. how are they to work with? Yeah, you've worked with her before on a, a Snapchat show. Yeah, no, do you know what she she she? I mean, I don't think they even mind me saying it themselves. Charlotte is a, a genuinely a consummate professional. She's incredibly intelligent. All of the kind of like the A list of the Geordies are super super smart. Super it's just savvy. an act. I wouldn't say it's an act, but I just think she has a lot more to her. Do you know what? It's like an odd comparison, but she has a Davina quality. She can talk to anyone. She can react in the street. You believe that she's empathetic. I don't know. There aren't many younger presenters that have that. She's one of them. Bear is, as I think the makers of Celebs Go Dating found out, is tricky. And he I mean, he loves the fact he's tricky. I love the fact he's tricky. You know, you don't book Bear on a show to be anything else other than tricky because that is who he really is. That isn't an act. I mean, he's just he's just the guy from Walthamstow having a fucking great time. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, uh, so Gobstopper's about 18 months old, is yeah. that right? How's it, yeah. been, uh, how's it been launching an indie and, yeah. and obviously with the Greenbird guys? Yeah, Talk no, do you know what? It's, um, I think when you set up, I think you have a newfound respect for every single person that you've ever worked for 
it just dawns on you what when you were probably being unreasonable about something very small when you were a producer or senior producer somewhere or whatever, understanding what those people then go through. It's been the most humbling 18 months of my life. But amazing. I've like I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it. I am enjoying every minute of it. It was, I think, as everyone that sets up, you're just desperate to get your first show. You don't want to be that one of the hundreds of companies that set up that doesn't then make a show and just disappears. So I was, I thought my first day when I set up was make sure we make a show. <laughs> so which we've done, you know, we've had a couple of pilots. We've done a series for Snapchat, and obviously we've we've done them. Um, this series with MTV and we've we've got a couple of other bits that aren't announced yet that are coming as well so it feels like we've kind of we're kind of turned a corner into being a proper company now which is great have you even got like head of production because they're the only people that actually know how to make telly in this country <laughs> just to two of us launches on Monday April 3rd at 10pm yes thanks Ross thank you finally we head over to Paris well at least in spirit British formats such as Top Gear and Strictly Come Dancing have performed well in France. Samuel Cassus, founder and president of Pernell Media, who has adapted shows such as The Great British Menu and The Undatables, joins us to explain why. And he also talks about why he launched a British production company. But first, a clip. Let's see if you can understand what's going on in the French version of The Great British Menu. Afin d'allier goût et originalité, le chef va se fournir en pleurotte cultivée dans une cave sous le marché de Rungis grâce à une technique très spéciale. Les fameuses pleurotes. Les, les, les pleurotes Montecristo au mar de café. Viens voir. Donc c'est du mar de café qu'on récolte en région parisienne. I have no idea what was going on this there. Uh, could you enlighten us? Yeah, they were talking about mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, there we go. So give us a bit of background about the company. Um, you were originally a commissioner at MCS, which is a little bit like ITV. Is that right? Yeah, I would say uh, MCS is one of the uh, leading commercial broadcasters in France. So something between Channel 4 and ITV. I used to work there as a commissioner where we started commissioning a lot of British formats, such as Wife Swap and Come Dine With Me and Super Nanny. And I guess uh, when I started the company, Panel Media, back in 2009, we kept uh, working on all these great UK shows. And in fact, so far, we have made seven British formats in France, which is probably the biggest number any other indie has made in France. Balls of Steel, The Undatables, shows like this. What drew you to them? First and foremost, I think all of these shows have been proven hits in the UK and it's been um, in a very wide range of programming so whether it's entertainment or fashion entertainment or game shows it's been great to work on this variety of programs what drew us to it well you know first of all you know the, the creativity uh, the success the fact that they were all quite original that they were real formats with strong ideas at the core. All of these reasons make a format into something that's a compelling proposition for us and for broadcasters, obviously. And which of those uh, rated the best? Did they do well, these, these shows locally? Yeah, I mean, some did rate extremely well, some didn't. It's never a science. You want to use formats because you think it's increasing your chance of success. And that's why broadcasters around the world are always relying on formats that have a proven track record. But even then, even with a great show, even with a show that's been very successful in, in one country, it doesn't mean it's always going to translate into a success. Obviously, you know, when, you know, Come Dine With Me was a really good example because it was quite successful in the UK and it was becoming quite successful in Germany. But nobody would have thought that it would 
become such a big hit. We did a pilot and the pilot looked great, but then it took several months before the show um, made it to the air. Nobody could have expected that it would be such a hit. I mean, the, the show has been running constantly since 2009 on French television almost every day. I mean, it's thousands and thousands of episodes. It's mind-blowing. On the other hand, you, you've got shows... Is there the reservation that the Brits were telling the French how to cook? <laughs> I think um, it's really funny because all of these cooking shows came up the, out of the UK. I mean, one of the first shows I worked on as a commissioner at, at, at MCs was a version of what Jamie Oliver did in Jamie's Kitchen. We did a show where a young French chef started a restaurant with 10 jobless people. And that was the first time such a show was made in France. And it was the first time ever a food format would come in prime time on commercial TV. And it became a huge hit. And, and the chef became a huge celebrity. And he's been one of the most famous chefs in France. His name is Cyril Lignac. I agree with you. It's quite interesting that although we're, we were in France, we had to import food formats out of the UK to get the kitchen into prime time. Before that, it was mostly people cooking gross food. And uh, uh, we had um, a cooking show called uh, Maite in France for years. And it was literally this uh, big woman butchering uh, animals on the table. And it, it's hilarious. It's become a little bit of a cult thing. But those amazing food formats like Come Dine With Me or Jamie's Kitchen came along and transformed food into something much more entertaining that went far beyond cooking. And we often think of there being a sort of French protectionism. But the broadcasters were, were open to this. No, the broadcasters were the first one to, to really look at those formats internationally. I mean, as you know, the UK is probably the biggest formats exporter in the world. It was very natural to look uh, into the UK for the best formats. I guess broadcasters are always, again, are always keen to reduce the risk of launching formats, launching shows in general. So... The, the French broadcasters, uh, especially the commercial broadcasters like TF1 or MCs, were very keen to find the best shows anywhere around the world. And the UK being so creative and so successful at creating formats, it was very natural that they would be looking at the UK for these shows. What's the one British format that you'd like to remake? Well, if I can pick anything out of all the shows out there, you know, obviously, I would have loved to produce The Bake Off. You know, it's it's a huge show and it's uh, it's fun and it's sweet and it's really big in the UK and it's becoming extremely big in France as well. It's kind of owned by the BBC, so internationally, which is really ironic when you know that it's not airing on the BBC anymore in, uh, in the UK. But obviously, you know, I would have loved to produce um, such a format in France. That would have been amazing. And you also develop your own shows, yes. and you also have your own originations. Uh, last year, you uh, you got access to the Innocence Network. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so, you know, as, as everybody knows, and, and it's also related to uh, podcasts like Serial, where a lot of people heard about the Innocence Project, the US-based non-profit organization. Over the past 30 years, they have helped something like 300 people get out of jail sometimes people who had been in jail for 20 or 30 years. So we approached them after hearing about them through the Serial podcast. So we, we now have a development team based in London, and we're working with them on finding ideas that can work in the UK or internationally. They told me about it, and I thought, well, that sounds a really interesting story. So we approached the Innocence Project, and we produced a four-part series 
looking at four of their most incredible stories of the past 30 years. And really, if you think about it, I mean, someone who's been in jail for 30 years and then finds out that they're actually innocent, this is just mind-blowing. And you produced it for a French channel. Yes. So what's really interesting is we've come up with a, a sort of different model where we find a story that can work on the global level and uh, we sell it to a French broadcaster first, but then we also bring financing from different parties. In this instance, we worked with all three media who have taken the global rights for distribution. They brought a part of the financing to the project, which helped us make the show in a much bigger way. And then they were able to sell it internationally, and they've been very successful at it. So that's, that has proven a very, very efficient model. Our first example of an international factual series was Four Babies a Second. The concept of Four Babies a Second, it's, it's almost a pun, you know, it's a little bit like one born every minute, but on a global scale. In each episode, we, we told the story of four babies being born around the world. And each episode had a topic like first time moms or stressful dads. That series was sold to a French broadcaster called Voyage. Then it was distributed by Zodiac. Then they sold it to Nagio Channels globally. Eventually, Nagio Channels became a commissioner for the second series. So we ended up doing 20 hours for this series, which is huge. And again, it, it proved like a very efficient model to have a, a very internationally uh, minded series that we started financing with a French broadcaster. We got additional financing from a distributor and eventually it was acquired by a global channel like Nagio Channels International, which is amazing. Do you hope to do the same thing with the Innocence Network? So the Innocence Network is slightly different because now that Ulster Media is distributing it, they've actually sold it to a number of different channels around the world versus one global platform. But I know they've been very, very successful at selling it worldwide. And the success of the Innocence Project series has prompted us to doing another series in the area of true crime. So that, that space, you know, there's a very strong appetite in that space at the moment of the so-called true crime space. Also, we felt it was just fascinating stories. So this, this came out of your London division. Can you talk a little bit about opening a, a UK office? What was the intention there and how have you gone and done it? Absolutely. So we, we did set up Pernell Media in the UK. So there is a, an official Pernell Media LTD company right now. The reason is because having been a client of uh, British formats and shows for 15 years almost as a commissioner and then as a production companies, at some point I felt I'm like, I'm half British somehow. You know, I've been working on British TV for so many years. I know the show so well. And we've been meeting for so many years with all these great talents, uh, the producers and sometimes the commissioners of this show. Uh, at some point, we were working on a French version of The Indatables, for instance. And this is obviously a very complicated program to make, and you want to make sure you hit the right note. So when I was making The Indatables, I was talking a lot to uh, Lucie Levague, who's the commissioner at Channel 4 of the show, and she also exec produced it uh, before at Betty. Talking to her about Indatables, you know, eventually you get into conversations, and from conversations come ideas. And there comes a point where you go, well, maybe, you know, it can become a two-way street where we acquire a lot of British formats and we've been working with British production companies for so many years and so many talented people here. At a point, you know, we started saying, well, let's start and work the other way as well. Um, we can strengthen our partnerships with production companies here. Have you got a team here? 
Yes, so we do have a development team working with us here. It's great for us to generate ideas that are slightly more focused on the British market, or it's also a way for us to come up with ideas that can be truly international. So even when we are working on ideas to pitch for French broadcasters, we like to exchange about these ideas with our London-based team so that our ideas are truly international. And you've already won a, a UK commission with Channel 5, uh, the working title Tearing My Family Apart. Yes, so so that's a very good example of working with the uh, our London-based team. We had met with Ben Froe at Channel 5 and we knew that he was looking for these sorts of one-off docs. And so we started brainstorming about, you know, what kind of topic and and what can we find out that can be interesting for Channel 5. And then uh, it's really the London team who came up with this idea after reading in the papers. You know, they read about these stories of families who are separated because of immigration rules. You know, immigration is obviously a very, very topical subject. And it's true around the world. It's, it's very true here in the UK. This was all before Brexit happened. But those stories felt very compelling. So we pitched the idea to Ben Froe at Channel 5. He liked it. Uh, he thought it was interesting. And he felt it was an interesting way to talk about immigration from a different point of view. So Have you so made it? We've very recently delivered the program to Channel 5. It took a long time to make because we were following the stories of those families battling with immigration issues. And those stories take a long time to unfold. And we wanted to follow the whole process of all the ups and downs of trying to reunite your family in the UK or those families who are already living here and were risking eviction for one of the partner. And what's really interesting is when, when you look at these stories and you look at these people again, you end up thinking, well, this could be me. I mean, if tomorrow you marry someone who's not British, you know, this could be your story. It could happen to anyone. And I think it was kind of the same reasoning when we were doing the Innocence Project series. Is at the end of the day, you look at the stories and you go, well, this is potentially me tomorrow. It could happen to anyone. And that I think that's what makes it quite gripping as well. And finally, what's uh, what else is coming up at Pernell? Have you got other UK commissions or other ideas? So, yeah, so we, we keep working at the moment, developing series both for uh, UK broadcasters or UK format that we're adapting for the French broadcasters. We've just announced a second series of Wheeler's Dealers. That's a really great show. Uh, it's a very sophisticated production. We actually have to operate a whole garage. So it's, it's quite a challenge. I met yesterday with uh, Mike Brewer, the British host of Wheeler's Dealers. And it's, it was quite hilarious to discuss with him the French version of Mike Brewer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, très bien. Uh, merci beaucoup, Samuel. Merci. That's your lot for this episode, which was brought to you by The Finish Line, currently responsible for working on Windfall Films' living history series Mutiny for Channel 4, which sees nine men recreate the gruelling journey of Captain William Bly and his loyal crewmen. My thanks to our guests, Ross, Samuel and Manoy. Remember, you can catch up on all of these stories and more, including a spotlight on diversity and Mark Lindsay's plans for BBC Studios in this week's magazine or online at broadcastnow.co.uk. I'm Peter White, and the producers are Matt Hill and Chika Ayres from Rethink Audio. We'll see you on the other side. Mm-hmm.